What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG and MHS Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, I, I, I wanted to kind of throw together this podcast because I'm, I'm kind of like been watching the Damian Lillard and James Harden and whatever's going on in Toronto thing happen in the NBA. And I kind of wanted to uh, give us an idea of some historical context with some things and maybe some reasons why some GMs aren't as, uh, or, or maybe not um, as successful as they used to be in some certain contexts. But first, I'm going to kind of talk about the Damian Lillard thing. And it's all all about who is owed what. Um, sorry about it to move my mic. Um, it, it is whether you buy into the notion that Damian Lillard did absolutely everything to stay loyal to Portland and they didn't do right by him, particularly when it came to this year's draft and the drafting of Scoot Henderson and failing to put a championship team around him, all this stuff. Or you come down on the side of the uh, of the Blazers, which is we have to get to do what's best for the team. We have to do what's best for us, and um, your needs are secondary because Damian Lillard wants very clearly to go to the Miami Heat, and it's it's the nexus of these desires and controls and all this stuff, and um, and it's whether you buy one side or the next, or even if you don't, it, it, it's really about this nature of control. Damian Lillard wants to go to the Miami Heat. The Portland Trailblazers, if they had their druthers, would probably want to send them to a rebuilding team so they could get the whole, the hall of picks. Um, which obviously they aren't going to do because at, at that point, uh, if they did that sort of thing, they would uh, uh, burn bridges with everyone. And I'm going to, in the second half of the podcast, I'm going to get to why you have to be careful with being ruthless. Um, and it's a no bigger example of that than our Denver Nuggets from uh, the early 2010s. But we're at a point now where um, this is likely going to drag out for a bit. I don't think it's in the Blazers' best interest to take this into the season. Um, we kind of learned this with the Carmelo Anthony thing. As much as uh, Masai Ujiri did, and we'll be talking about Masai in the second half, as much as Masai Ujiri did a uh, bang-up job in getting the return he did for Carmelo Anthony, there were some tangential and side things uh, that were not seen, um, and a lot of it w was weighed heavily on the fan base, and one of the reasons that uh, the city of Denver can't seem to uh, get over the mellow thing is likely because of m what Mosai was doing and leveraging the uh, new, then New Jersey Nets against the uh, uh, New York Knicks to get as much as he could, which was as good as he could possibly get for the organization. But it, there was there was some side issues that came with that, and that really is where the Blazers are with Lillard, even though. Um, very differently here. Um, Mello had made it to his eighth season with the Denver Nuggets and, um, the, uh, Blazers are in year 11 with Dame and, and Lillard is on a huge existing contract and, uh, the situation, the scenario with Denver is a lot, is a lot different. They, they, people have 
drawn some comparisons. This isn't really the same. The length of contract is one of the primary ones, and Dame's older, and you're not, and let's face it, the Blazers are not going to get the return that Carmelo Anthony did because as much as flawed as Melo was, he was perceived a certain way, and he was only, I think he was only 26, uh, 26 or 27 when the Nuggets traded him. So there's a big difference between where Dame's at at 33 and uh, where Carmelo went, and keep in mind, Damian Lillard went to went to I think either three or four years of at Weaver State, so um, he was already older when he came into the league. So there's all that going on here, but it's the nexus of control. You know, the the Philadelphia 76ers have a significant amount of control over the the James Harden situation due to circumstance and the fact that he opted chose to opt into his final. Uh, year of his contract uh he did that out of frustration and pissed offness at the what he perceived as uh backstabbing and this is what is going on behind the scenes in the nba is that uh harden probably if he had his druthers would have worked out a deal with the uh philadelphia 76ers the the stuff with the houston rockets during the year um is actually legitimate he likes houston a lot Probably he would have finished his entire career in Houston um, if it were not for Tillman Fertitta being a colossal idiot. Um, but there is, you know, there, there are a lot of different things going on here. He forced his way out of out of Houston, then he forced his way out of uh, Brooklyn. He did it twice, and now he's forcing his way out of uh, Philly. Obviously, by the time you get to the third stop, your uh, ability to pull said thing is going is diminished and since he did it twice before he got to hear um maury regardless of whether he lied to harden or not about the scenario which he painted to get him to come back this last season um is a situation where james harden did it to himself and probably should never have trusted daryl maury who had he had previously had a great relationship with and daryl maury has his his tremendous flaws, but he's not exactly in a, he's in a position that he wasn't necessarily in with, with uh, Ben Simmons, who was not only distressed asset, had more years on his contract and you could probably get more. This is, this is really a situation where they probably can't get much for, for James Harden. So what's going to happen is that the Sixers will try to bring back Harden and uh, obviously have a very awkward season and at least try to deal him at the trade deadline. But at that point, it'll be just uh, dealing James Harden as a, dis- uh, not a distressed, but a uh, a uh, expiring contract, which if you're, if you're dealing someone who is, you know, as flawed as and as frustrating as James Harden is, he is not just an expiring contract. There will be a team that wants to re-sign him. But by that point, uh, Maury will have lost much of his leverage over the situation. And you, if you bring it to the, here's the, here's what I'm saying. If you bring it to the deadline with Harden, even though he is an expiring deal, um, basically you're conceding, you're going to get nothing for him. So teams will just wait till the off season. This is, it's not a situation where you can wait till the deadline to, to try and trade James Harden. If you don't trade him right now, you will get nothing for him. Um, you, you, it is, it is just the way it is. So that's what Harden's banking on. But the problem is the the Sixers may be willing to go that route. The problem with the situation is that they really want Damian Lillard, 
in the equation. And I don't, and first of all, from everything I've heard, Lillard isn't exactly enthusiastic about the prospect of being traded to Philly. Uh, that's the scuttlebutt in the league right now. And um, obviously that may affect some things. Plus you've got this situation with the Harden that's hanging over it. So Philadelphia's got its own thing hanging over them in this scenario. But coming back to the Blazers, the Blazers, um, there's a couple things that have been floating out there that I want people to understand. And and one of them is Damian Lillard um, is not the best Blazer in history. I don't know why this is keep floating out there. It's, I mean, Bill Walton was next level amazing before he got injured. Um, this team, people forget, you know, the year after they won the championship was 50 and 10 before uh, Walton got injured and which forever altered the trajectory of the Blazers franchise. I mean, this had, this team was headed for multiple um, championship appearances, uh, NBA finals appearances before then Um, the nuggets as good as they were in 1978. And, and by the time Walton got hurt, the nuggets were the best team in the league, even though they, um, uh, Brian Taylor quit on them mid season, which really severely affected their trajectory. Um, but the, there is this, 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 this notion that Damian Lillard is the best one in Blazers history. There's, there's both Bill Walton. They won a championship with Bill Walton and Clyde Drexler, who, and people have this weird, um, kind of revisionist history with Drexler. Um, people need to understand how great those, those, late 80s, early 90s Blazers teams were. Um, Clyde Drexler, Kevin Duckworth, Jerome Kersey, Cliff Robertson, uh, Robinson, not Robertson, um, Terry Porter, Drazen Petrovic at, at first, because even though he didn't play much, and then Danny Ainge came in. Um, that team was loaded. That team was freaking loaded. And from 89 to 93, that team was one of the best in the NBA until I think it was 93 when uh, Drexler started hitting his downward slide. He got injured um, and then Adelman left and all this stuff. But there, there is a, that David Adelman was, you know, another guy who, who good coach for that, that Blazers team, which was a run and gun, exciting team. Um, Jerome Kersey was a, uh, that was a very good player, very good mid-range shooter. Uh, Cliff Robinson was an amazing six man. Uh, Terry Porter was a great point guard. Um, the, the, you know, Kevin Duckworth, even though he was shaped like a grain silo, he was, uh, one of those guys that, uh, you could rely on for a, 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 he had a good, uh, he didn't have a good drop set, but he had a good spin move. Um, wasn't a drop step like Ewing had, which was uh, devastating. Uh, his was a spin on, uh, in the post and, uh, for his size, uh, he was really adept at getting those, uh, dirty points, uh, back when the NBA was more center-based, um, and Drexler was amazing. He was he was a great in transition. Probably one of uh, I mean I will say this as as much as Jordan got upset about the um, about the comparisons with Clyde Drexler, um, Drexler was much better in transition 
than Jordan was. Jordan was a the far, 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 far superior half court guy, but Jor- but uh, Drexler in the open court was smooth and extremely devastating. And uh, from you know in the '90s season, the 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 Blazers played the uh, the once in a generation should have should have been a repeat uh, bad boys team, the Detroit Pistons. And with that, they beat them in their second championship uh, in six games. And in 92, they played maybe the best, well, not maybe, the best uh, of the Bulls teams. The 91-92 Bulls were, in my mind, in my mind, the most ruthlessly devastating team, one of them in NBA history. Possibly, and for my dollar, the best team. the best team in uh, in the '90s of the Bulls era. Um, I mean, people always talk about the '72 win team, but that win was heavily affected by the expansion. Um, this uh, this was that 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 '91 '92 Bulls team was just next level. They were so good, and that team got taken to seven games by the Knicks, um, and that tells you how good the Knicks were. So anyway, um, Damian Lillard is not the best blazer in history not in my view he's probably in my view he's number three he's been there for 11 years which is about the same as drexler um and but uh it's just uh i think drexler was there 12 years so it's and then then he went left and went to uh uh the rockets and won a title for the six seed rockets in 95 but there's so many things diff- that have gone on with this Lillard saga, and it's really coming back to the the prospect of of trading. It's really who, which side of the leverage game you come down on. Is it is it Damian Lillard and the what I would say unnecessary loyalty that he showed the Blazers, not wanting to be a Carmelo Anthony type and, 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 uh, James Harden type. And, and even though Harden was in Houston for, uh, you know, you know, nine years, um, you don't want to be that, but at the same time you feel sympathy for the Blazers and like, we got to get what we can for you. And you're really harming, harming us by wanting to only go to Miami and playing that leverage game. And I, it, it sucks. It really sucks. But in the grand scheme of things, teams need to be careful with being ruthless. And there is one former Denver Nuggets executive that is getting into a, you reap what you sow territory with being ruthless and I think there is a there's a lesson here for the to, for the Portland Trailblazers, and I'll be talking about that in the second half. But first, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful Lower Downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the Dairy Block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They got a location in Fort Collins, one in the Dairy Block, and one in Sonoma County, California. But they really are a good, great example of a local Colorado business because they have tons of partnerships with Western Slope uh, wineries that gives you the best of what Colorado has to offer in terms of wine. Um, the best of the western slope is obviously Riesling's uh if you are into the sweet uh sweet 
white wine that the Riesling is. Uh, that basically, I would say Rieslings are uh, in the western slope of Colorado, probably some of the best in the country. So I would suggest uh, checking that out. They also got uh, their own Cabernet, their own Merlot, their own uh, Pinot, which is not currently available. Um, and they've got many of the other things that you can try from their own grapes that are made in Sonoma County, California. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Mozzie in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. It was uh, about 2012 when there was a, and this is this is a series of events that happened um, in the months following the lockout, uh, which ended in December of 2011, and there is a series of events that happened which shaped how people perceived. Well, be, which was their first real, real glimpse of Masai Ujiri. Um, in the off-season of, uh, of 2011-12, but basically this season got started in December of, last, of that year, um, he signed Nene to a uh, contract extension, and he signed uh, Aaron Aflalo to a contract extension. And both guys were gone by the trade deadline that year. So they played a grand total of a couple months under these extensions. Um, this is, I mean, there's rules and places to prevent that sort of thing right now. But Nene gets traded for, uh, um, I believe he got traded for Joel McGee. I believe that was the trade. And uh, I forget who the he traded Aaron Aflalo for, um, but this and he he didn't he traded Aflalo in the off season. Then he traded in season for uh, Javale McGee, and um, this is one of those things that hasn't been told very frequently. Oh no, yeah, I forget who he traded Aaron Aflalo for, Andrea Godala. I can't believe I forgot that. Um, so. It's these trades that began to cement Maasai and by proxy uh, the Denver Nuggets' reputation with players in the league. Not for the better. Um, regardless of whether you can uh, say that they are beneficial for the team and and the way they uh, were uh like constructed and of course it inevitably ended up in the 57 win team in 12 13 but those two trades affected the nuggets perception along with the long drawn out process of the mellow trade those three trades i will be honest with you folks it took the nuggets a while to recover from that perception and, you know, i mean we always have this you know people in denver we always have this woe is me mentality with free agents not wanting to come in. You know, Denver's not alone in, in this situation. The free agents only want to go to L.A. or uh, Miami or sometimes the Knicks. Um, it's not even the Celtics. It, but really, free agents only want to go to places where it's warm. I mean, this is really it's really highly weather-based. 
Um, so that's why Miami and the LA teams get a lot of run here, and sometimes the uh, the Golden State Warriors. When you're talking about free agent destinations in the NBA, that is it's, it's based on weather. I think people just don't don't the other places in the league experience winter. <laughs> And because the NBA is played during the winter, this is it. I mean, if this was, if, if the NBA was a summer league, it would be different. And obviously, LA has a lot of things. There's other factors than just the weather, but there's a lot of it has to go into that. People come to these cities and they see the snow and it's cold and they just want to get to the arena. And then they want to, like, if they're in for a couple of days, they want to hang out. And Denver's not exactly what you would call a happening nightlife area. So, um, it's good. I, you know, that's, that's, face it i mean most like most cities it has as an okay nightlife but it's not like la or vegas or anything like that or miami so obviously guys will want to be like like that so let's forget the free agency part okay that has nothing to do with it denver's reputation was hurt by the ruthlessness of which my masai ujiri operated and this was something that was obviously very fond of and cheered on by uh, fans who uh, really, in their core, like it when GMs are ruthless with players. Um, so you can't go by fan sentiment when you when you talk about these things. Masai then, obviously, after three years in Denver, Another part of Masai's ruthlessness is that he got himself into a great position with the Toronto Raptors. And from 13 to 19, they were a a team that won a lot of regular season games, but didn't or was basically inevitably defeated by LeBron James <laughs> in these playoffs. And in the off season of 2018, I've discussed this on this podcast back when uh, that deal was made. Masai did something similar to that he did with Aaron Aflalo when he traded a long time. Now, Aaron Aflalo was not a long time beloved Denver Nugget, but um, he traded DeMar DeRozan, who was a beloved Raptor for um, Kawhi Leonard, banking on the fact that they their success would justify the trade, which, you know, look, they won a championship. They won the title of that year, obviously heavily influenced by the injuries that uh, the Golden State Warriors had to go through. But it's a championship is a championship. You can't take that away from the from the Toronto Raptors as much as people want to try to throw asterisks on it. Masai was willing to take that gamble because of of the potential of a title here is where things have begun to fall apart with the um with the toronto raptors masai's reputation has preceded him he is a ruthless character and he wants to win every trade um that was true when he was in denver despite him saying the nuggets got killed in the uh, in the Carmelo Anthony deal, uh, something a statement that uh, Masai, I can guarantee you, knew was false when he made it. Um, it, it despite that, uh, the ruthlessness with Masai operated eventually caught up with him, and you've seen it as the Raptors have kind of suffered through in the last four seasons, um, very middling basketball from. From 1920, 2021, 
21, 22, 22, 23, these last four seasons, they've been just okay. Um, a team with a bunch of long arms is basically what it was. So they reminds me of the Bucks pre when Jason Kidd was there, just a bunch of guys with a bunch of really long arms. And obviously that uh, that is good for a while, but you need a you know, you need a better team around them. When Kyle Lowry left for basically pennies to uh, the Miami Heat, it kind of showed you the limitations of Masai's ruthlessness. Ruthlessness, And let me tell you, the culmination of this is you have to give other teams in the league something. Um, horse trading is part of the ecosystem of the NBA. General managers like having good relationships with other general managers because you can get deals done. Sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. That is the basis for which you have a, uh, a lasting relationship in the NBA. There are the best GMs and the ones that last the longest are the ones that I give you one, you give me one. Um, uh, basis to where every you know you can get a trade not not that you would deliberately lose a trade but it's not one where you will are going to be going home feeling that you got one over on the other gm which has been largely what masai ujiri has been existing on and eventually when you live that way with trying to do deals and all this stuff you your your the extent with with the people in the league will be wanting to deal with you expires and as you've noticed despite having og ananobi despite pascal siapkin being in a bunch of trade rumors you know as of this time masai may be able to get himself into a a a a trade for you know somewhere you know maybe trading to indiana or something like that that's the latest rumor but there's a reason that the Raptors are always in trade rumors and and you don't hear about any deals. It's that it's that from what I know of Masai, and I don't think he's changed, he needs to win every deal. And being able to, for him to call it a win. And once again, that that scenario doesn't it, there's an expiration date on ruthlessness there is an expiration date on whether people are, will be willing to deal with you if you always drive a hard bargain with people if you always say like you this the deal needs to be done on my terms and this is why the raptors have been stuck in purgatory and let fred van vliet go for nothing you know and these guys like og ananobi there are teams that I know for a fact that probably would have traded for him last year, but you know, if the terms aren't favorable and if there needed to be a one-sided deal in order for it to happen, then it just wasn't going to be something that was sustainable. So when I'm talking to you about what's going on in Portland, beware the ruthlessness. You can only get away with it for so long before people just stop dealing with you. Look at Danny Ainge being stuck with a bunch of back-end first-round picks after he fleeced the uh, the the Nets for uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce 
back in, what was it, 2013, 2012, 2013. Um, but largely being stuck with all these mid to late round picks because people just stopped dealing with Danny Ainge. I think he eventually had to learn that you got to give one to someone, you got to get, you know, you got to you got to do the horse trading. That's the way things work in the league. So Joe Cronin who is working on this deal for uh, Damian Lillard and all that, he needs to balance what's best for the Blazers and seriously what is best for Dame Lillard. And taking a ruthless approach to this and dragging it out. Now, the worst case scenario, I think, for the Blazers is if Cronin takes this into the season. Because relations are going to get bad. And that is where the toxic atmosphere emerges. The fans are pissed off at Dame Lillard now. And Lillard will blame Cronin for creating a toxic situation when he could have handled things right then. Um, you know, like I said, Masai, to his credit, got a ton of back, ton back for Carmelo Anthony, more than, more than, uh, every, anyone ever thought that he could get back in a trade. But the, this began the erosion of the reputation of the Denver Nuggets followed shortly um, by some t- duality of trades that he did, which really, and which resulted in Andrea Godella only staying for one year, um, gambling on that sort of thing, being ruthless, being that kind of GM, it catches up with you. You, your reputation becomes that guy who always has to win a trade. So GMs just kind of stop listening to you. They, 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 you get the rumors that all these guys are in trade, um, uh, you know, trade scenarios. Lowry should have been traded for more. Fred Van Vliet should have been traded before he left for nothing. Pascal Siakam probably should have been traded last year. There are, and it's, you start getting stuck into the cycle of having these good players who are good enough to make you okay, but not good enough to make you a championship team and your ability to get out of them, out of these, this scenario requires you being willing to not win every deal. And Masai kind of found himself stuck. So for the message for Joe Cronin and the, the, the way you have to look at this is that eventually you've got to, you've got to learn do you understand about your own reputation in the league, particularly with players and agents who are more militant than players are? Understanding that and balancing that will be the key for him to eventually deal Dame Lillard. All right, thank you all for joining me in the latest Morecast. Um, I'm not sure when I'm going to be back this week. I may do another one this week. I may not. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this one, and uh, I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.